Chet, Chet, Chet. Have you ever been to a concert? <laughs> yes. You know when they do that? Yeah. They go, Chet, Chet, Chet. Whoa. One, two, three. Chet, Chet, Chet. <laughs> this woman to watch movies and do you take this man to talk about them i now pronounce you a podcast welcome everyone to another episode of wife watches i'm your host jason and joining me as always debating the finer points of philosophy and morality with a homicidal android in the forests of eastern europe it's my wife, Courtney. Hello, everybody. This is a podcast where I show Courtney culturally significant movies that she's missed. And this is one of them. Courtney, how are you doing? Doing well. Ready for quarantine to end. Uh, what's going on with in Animal Crossing? So I just finished all the guest houses. The guests have moved in. Okay. They're all animals who've moved in. And now I'm just kind of trying to... Oh, I increased the size of my house. So I owe, I owe Mr. Nook $198,000. Did you pay back the raccoon? I did for the tent, and then I did for the first house, and now I'm on the second house, so I have a new loan. How are you? Are you enjoying it? I love it. Really? I love it. No signs of getting tired or oh, bored of no, it? no, 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 no. Okay, good. What yes. movie are we watching? We are watching The Avengers Age of Ultron. Ah, very good. I've seen most of it. Do you remember it at uh -huh. all? This movie is set three years after The Avengers. Most of the Marvel movies happen in real time. Like the actual distance between the movies is roughly the actual distance that happens within the storyline. There's some weird contradictions of exactly when things are placed on a timeline. But for the most part, considering it's 22 movies worth of continuity, they've done pretty well. The first Avengers, like we said, was a game changer, super successful. It kind of blew up in the biggest way possible. They soon after released what the next slate of movies would be, which would be Marvel's Phase 2 lineup. And I didn't realize this when the first Avengers was coming out. I thought they would just start doing Avengers movies now. I didn't realize they would have the heroes then separate into their own solo movies again and then go into another team up. Because in my mind, they sort of address it in the movies, but never really satisfactorily. But after you have the Avengers and then Iron Man goes on a side mission, you're kind of always wondering, well, why wouldn't Iron Man call up the rest of the Avengers? And they just kind of don't. Yeah, that's weird. In Iron Man 3, which happens after the Avengers, the plot of the movie, the threat is to the president. He is trying to rescue the president of the United States. You think he would call Captain America or anyone else, but it's just him. So they never really address it in a way that actually makes sense within the stories. But regardless, they went back and they did another slew of like the same lineup, like Iron Man, Thor, Captain America. They also introduced a new franchise, Guardians of the Galaxy, and then had our heroes all team up again for Avengers 2. So I wanted just to go through a little bit what was shifting behind the scenes at Marvel during this time, during phase two. Uh, kind of run down quickly what the plots were and maybe some little funny things I thought you might enjoy from each of those solo movies. And then we'll just kick off into, we'll watch Age of Ultron. Okay. How's that sound? Great. Avengers was a big deal. It changed the way we market movies because Marvel would plant these flags years in advance of release dates and that would change. Other studios were now would not challenge those dates so they had to shift everything around. And then especially with this second phase of movies, they found that they had major success no matter which month they put the movie in. Because before this, it was like, you drop a movie in May, June, and July, around like Memorial Day, uh, July 4th. Those were the big, like, big times. Sorry. Those were big blockbuster. Um... <laughs> I was thinking about you saying those were the big times. 
It's so stupid. And those were the big times. And those were the big times. <laughs> those were like the bankable. Uh... <laughs> it's not that funny, but it like. It threw me off. I know. Those were the times. Ah, shit. <laughs> those were the bankable calendar dates, right? You could also have success around Christmas mm-hmm. because those were the, those were, oh my gosh, families were home on Christmas. They were also around for Memorial Day. They were around for the 4th of July. They just went to go see movies. And even, even towards the end of the summer though, August is kind of where you dumped movies, your summer blockbusters that weren't really going to go anywhere. And January was always like, that's where movies go to die. Uh-huh. And Marvel has kind of, they've spread out their slate as they as they continue to churn out movies at the same time. They used to, we're doing one at a time, and now it's up to two movies. And that, right now it's up to like sometimes three movies a year. They just planted these different areas and they've shown that like a movie can still make a shit ton of money no matter the month that they're released in. Black Panther came out in February. Do you know Black Panther made more money in North America than Avengers Infinity War did? Whoa. Like Marvel makes its own rules. Yes. And all, all the traditions and taboos of what you can and can't do with big studios, they just rewrote it. And some people really hate what's happened to large-scale filmmaking in the wake of Marvel. Like some cinephiles are really, they grouse that they feel like the Marvel formula has kind of dumbed things down and also made it harder for smaller scale movies to survive. To their credit, there's there's fairness to that argument, but it doesn't change that Marvel is like the cinematic superpower. They kind of don't, they have like an unbroken streak of success that continues into phase two. Joss Whedon directed the Avengers and he was able to kind of shape a lot of phase two. They signed him to write and direct this Avengers sequel. And in the meantime, he would kind of come in and help punch up the scripts for some of the other intervening Marvel movies. So he was kind of the architect of Phase 2 in a lot of ways to make sure everything lined up to roll perfectly seamlessly into the narrative of his Avengers sequel. Marvel became much more assembly line. They really started perfecting their model of having movies at different stages of production at all times. And because Marvel was now making enough movies there, they started developing their own formula and critiques of that recognizable formula was starting to come out, including people complained that Marvel was washing out the palette of a lot of their movies, where they were trying to make it all kind of visually universal across all films. I've watched some YouTube videos on this. They're really interesting. If you're interested, you should go look more into it. But a lot of what they do is they remove the blacks from the image on all of their movies. So a lot of the times it has like a very washed out, granity look to it which makes it kind of ugly in some action sequences and doesn't make the colors pop or as vibrant what's the purpose of that just to universal yes it's just they have an in-house style that have how everything looks it's weird because they kind of implemented it later in the game. So the first couple Iron Man movies, they're shot with different colors. And there's actually some people are critiquing that the the versions that they put on Disney Plus of those early Marvel films, they've messed with the coloring to kind of fit the rest of the universal palette. They're tweaks that you really, unless you really cared about it, you really wouldn't notice or give a damn. But I feel like this phase of movies also, it went to an area where Marvel was kind of afraid of killing off characters permanently or having real meaty consequences to the actions of the films. In the second Thor, Loki fakes his death. Nick Fury fakes his death in Captain America, the Winter Soldier. A lot of characters don't die. An argument in behalf of them is people saying, well, in comic books, characters die and come back all the time. But what happens if that happens too many times in movies, it removes the stakes. 
so that you're not actually worried about any of the characters. Um, I wanted to talk a bit about Ike Perlmutter, who I mentioned last week, who is, he's the one that has had like one photograph of him in the last 30 years. And he's one of the executives with Kevin Feige. There were issues with Ike Perlmutter and Feige that kind of came to a head during this period. So Perlmutter, he got his start, he was on the board of directors of Marvel Comics in the 90s. And then he hooked up with Avi Arad, who was over Toy Biz, it's like a toy company. <laughs> and they together were like these Marvel executives and so a lot of the decisions that they made come from this business background, which is sell toys, sell merch. That's how we make money. And they're the two guys that Kevin Feige hooked up with to start Marvel Studios. And so even when Disney bought Marvel in 2009, they still kept Ike Perlmutter as CEO of Marvel Entertainment. So Feige reported to Perlmutter, who reported to Disney. That was the hierarchy at the time. Perlmutter takes great pride in never having given an interview over his entire career, and he's rarely been photographed. Feige and Perlmutter would always get in fights. They were always butting heads. This has been reported on like for the past couple years. It was largely over budgets and creative decisions. Ike would always handcuff Feige whenever he wanted to renegotiate with actors or actresses based on their contracts. And I just noticed once Perlmutter was out of the picture, there were just, there were no stories about actors or actresses in the Marvel Universe saying like, you know, maybe I'll come back. I don't know when my contract is over. I don't know. Because now Feige was like, I have an unlimited budget. I can get the people I want to tell the stories I want. Just let me do what I want to do. Ike was the one who was always getting in the way of Feige wanting to make a Black Panther movie, a Black Widow movie, Captain Marvel, to the point where Bob Iger has talked about how he had to call Ike and be like, hey, stop setting these roadblocks for these movies. Let Kevin Feige do what he does. Allegedly, he even said that he didn't really care if Don Cheadle replaced Terrence Howard as James Rhodes because, quote, black people look the same. He just is a piece of shit, okay? Ugh. In 2015, about when Age of Ultron was coming out, I guess Feige, like, due to his frustrations of having to work under Perlmutter, was close to quitting. Disney finally stepped in, restructured it so that Feige reported directly to Alan Horn, who was the chairman of Disney, and just sidestepped Perlmutter altogether. So what happened to him? So Perlmutter kind of stayed on mostly over like comics and TV division of Marvel. And then in 2019 with the announcement of like Disney Plus and how Disney Plus was going to have all these TV shows that were gonna tie, be tied directly to the movies, Kevin Feige was announced as like chief creative over all of Marvel, comics, TV, movies, and Perlmutter is out on his ass. Nice. Yeah, that guy's a piece of shit. Yeah, that guy's a piece of shit. That's kind of like the machinations behind the scenes okay. during this phase two. All right, the movies leading up to Age of Ultron. The first one we got in 2013, a year after Avengers, Iron Man 3, okay? Shane Black directed it. He had worked with Robert Downey Jr. on a movie before called Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Have you seen that? No, but it sounds right up my alley. It is <laughs> so funny. Shane Black is like an old Hollywood name. He did like, he basically invented the buddy cup genre in the 80s. Have you seen Iron Man 3? Yeah. The movie deals a lot with Tony exploring his like PTSD from the alien attack in the Avengers. So remember how he carries the nuke through the wormhole? Yeah. That experience affects him this whole movie, which I really like how a lot of these... In the, Iron Man. Yes. The events of the Avengers in these movies carry on and you watch the characters grow and change over time. Yeah. That's a lot of what he's dealing with. It's just weird that it doesn't bleed back the other way. What do you mean? Like the characters don't go into their individual movies like you were talking about. So like Captain America's not in Iron Man 3. I think they do that a bit better now because they had these strict contracts and it was like, well, Chris Evans can't make a cameo in this movie because we have him on a six picture deal and we're making, oh, okay. 
And so now they're a bit looser with that where people will just kind of show up and you'll get a character showing up for 10 minutes. You'll get Doctor Strange showing up for five minutes in Thor Ragnarok. Oh. So it's a bit, it's a bit different now. But so a lot of what Iron Man 3 is about is him dealing with the fallout of that event, like psychologically. There's a twist in it where Iron Man's like big villain, like his version of the Joker is the Mandarin. All the marketing and trailers set up that like, this is going to be Iron Man versus the Mandarin. And they had Ben Kingsley cast as the Mandarin. There's a twist halfway through the movie that Ben Kingsley's character is actually an actor pretending to be the Mandarin. And that this guy behind this corporation is the one who's kind of pulling the strings. And I loved it. I thought it was, I did not see it coming. I thought it was a fantastic twist, but some people were really mad. And the Mandarin is actually a really problematic character because he's Chinese in the comic book adaptation, like in the comic. Yeah. And it it was a different time, (laughs) but I I thought they did the best with, with like the situation they had. Anyway, there are some people. You mean because he was played by a British actor? Just making, just not like doing a direct adaptation of that character and just being like, we're just going to do our own interpretation of the Mandarin. Okay. I thought it was fantastic. And there are a lot of people who aren't happy with that movie. And that movie kind of has a mixed opinions of like what people think about it. Also, Rebecca Hall is in this movie. She plays an old flame of Tony's who kind of comes back in his life and and ends up working for the villain in the movie. She was originally supposed to be revealed as the villain in the movie, but they greatly reduced her role uh, mostly because Ike Perlmutter and some of the Marvel executives were worried that having a female villain uh, would hurt merchandise sales. Is that for real? Dead serious. Boys won't play with girl bad guy toys. Gross. Yeah. Anyway, this movie was crazy successful. I really think it got like a real Avengers bump. It made $1.2 billion. I loved it, although you'll like this. I saw it at midnight, uh, summer 2013. I went with a group of people. I knew the I knew one person I went with, and I, then I went with their friends, and they wanted to leave right when the credits started. And I was like, no, guys, like we there's more. We wait. We, we sit here and watch. And they were so annoyed that we were sitting there through the credits. Are you kidding? Yeah, and I was really nervous because I wasn't the one that drove. And so I was worried they were just going to like all make a make a vote and that we should just leave. And it was even weirder because the end credit scene in this movie is kind of played as a joke. Because most of Iron Man 3 is all Tony Stark narrating. And it's revealed in the end credit scene that he is narrating to Bruce Banner, who has fallen asleep during his story. Wow. I had no idea you were such a good listener. To be able to share all my intimate thoughts and my experiences with someone, it just cuts the weight of it in half you know it's like a snake swallowing its own tail everything comes full circle and and the fact that you've been able to help me process so you with me it was yeah where we were at uh you actively napping i i was i i i drifted where did i lose you elevator in switzerland so you heard none of it i'm sorry i'm not that kind of doctor I'm not a therapist. It's not my training. So, I, I don't have the... What, the time? Temperament. And so people, they were just even more pissed. They were like, that, what, what, didn't even, that wasn't even, oh, what was it even can... for? Uh, I don't hang out with them anymore. All right, so the story, things you need to know going into Age of Ultron from Iron Man 3 is really just that Tony has an existential crisis about his PTSD with encountering aliens. Oh, and it kind of strains his relationship with Pepper Potts. Okay. Okay. Thor 2 or Thor the Dark World, often thought of as the worst Marvel movie. <laughs> Kenneth Branagh opted not to return. That's he, a bummer. They fast-tracked this right away. This came out like two years after the first Thor. He thought like the commitment 
to like shooting the film and how the pressure to start right away, he was like, I can't make this 2013 deadline. So instead they got Patty Jenkins who would go on to direct Wonder Woman and Natalie Portman in particular really wanted Patty Jenkins and was super psyched and Jenkins eventually left due to creative differences. She has since opened up more about what happened it was because she want, she had a very specific idea of the, of the Thor sequel she wanted to make, which would draw more inspiration from Romeo and Juliet and be kind of like a space romance. This, this is a quote from her. She said, I did not believe I could make a good movie out of the script that they were planning on doing. I think it would have been a huge deal. It would have looked like it was all my fault. And basically, she says, people would say, oh, this woman directed it, missed all these things. So she was like, because I'm a woman, people are going to, in particular, criticize this movie and not give me other chances. And you know what? 100% that would have happened. And she had the last laugh because she went on and did Wonder Woman and it was a huge hit. People loved it. She's directing the sequel and she's better off for passing on it. And you know- That's a great story. So who directed it? They went with Alan Taylor, who had directed a bunch of episodes of Game of Thrones. He's like a really, he's a really competent and like, he's a talented uh, director, I think. I actually think Thor 2 doesn't deserve a lot of the hate it gets. I personally think it's better than Thor 1. The cinematography is more interesting. The set design is more interesting. I actually like the action sequences more. I feel like there's more emotion because the Thor-Loki relationship is more interesting because they kind of have to work together. Obviously, Thor feels very betrayed by Loki because of what happened in the first Thor and in the Avengers. The, this is the movie where Thor's mom is killed. Uh-huh. And she was one of the only like emotional connections to Loki in the movie. And that's why they feel the need to like work together. I don't know. Like the relationships are just much more nuanced in this movie, but people really come down on it. So was it a, was it a shitty movie because of the script then? Yes. We can just, deduct. it was, it was generic. Deduce. It's pretty boring and generic. Okay. But I would argue no more generic than the first one and has more interesting, better elements. I personally thought the first one sucked. Most people were okay with it. I also thought, I was just like, this is so, this is what a carbon copy like this. When did that come out? 2011. Man, I was going to see a lot of superhero movies around then. Everyone was. Well, we still are. I know, but I just, somewhere along the way, I was like, no, oh, those aren't for me. Yeah. But I was, go- like 2009, 2010, 2011, I think I was going to see. Because I've seen, I've, I saw Thor, I saw Captain America, I saw Iron Man. Well, I felt, yeah, same. I mean, I, there was just so many movies you see during like late high school, early college that you look back and you're like, I would never go see that. (laughs) People are all going out to see a movie. You just go with them. Wouldn't you kill to do that now? Yeah. Story elements that you need to know from this movie. Thor's mom is killed. Loki fakes his death and ends up ruling Asgard pretending to be Odin. That's their dad, right? And Thor goes back to earth to be with Jane. Also, the whole movie, they're trying to find this ether, which is this like misty red quality. The ether is revealed to be the reality stone. Oh. You asked me to kind of point out to track yeah. where the infinity stones are. So that is the third infinity stone to be revealed in these movies okay. is the reality stone. I thought Natalie Portman wasn't in the second one or is she not in the third She's one? not in the third one. Okay. She's not in the third one because what ha- what went down with Patty Jenkins really pissed her off. And I think she was basically like, look, I'm contractually obligated to be in this movie already, but I don't want to come back for another one. But they have since repaired that relationship because she's coming back for the fourth Thor movie. That's because the third one was great, right? Yes. And Taika Waititi, who did the third one, is coming back for the fourth one. So, yeah. like I said, there's, they still have issues where they lose directors and they like clash over creative differences. That's just what happens when you're trying to steer a large storyline but still give different artists flexibility to move around and like make their own movie. But it's so much better, I think, since Ike Perlmutter got the boot. 
Another thing I wanted to tell you about is on the success of the Avengers, they wanted to really get into TV. And so there were a couple TV shows that were created in this era too. And this is all sort of under Ike Perlmutter's like TV division, right? And the idea was much more broad, which I, they're actually executing now with Disney Plus. But the idea was, oh, we're going to keep doing these movies, but we'll have these like TV shows that sort of tie into it as well. But because of the bad blood between the movie and TV division, they never overlapped. And so the movies just largely ignored all these TV shows, one of them being Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Have you heard of that one? <laughs> no, but I can only imagine. Just an ABC show. I watched the first couple episodes and I just thought, this just feels like low budget alias. And I just, I never watched it. It's still going. Seven seasons. Are you kidding me? Not kidding. Is uh, Kobe Smulders in it? No, but you know who is in it? Who? Phil Coulson. Oh. They brought him back from the dead to be in that show. Weird. But since that show is never acknowledged in the movies, as far as the movies are concerned, he's still dead. <laughs> some other ones they did, they did a deal with Netflix to do some shows like Daredevil, Jessica Jones. Oh, Jessica Jones. Yep, that's Marvel. And those technically are supposed to exist in the Marvel Cinematic World, but like I said, they just ignore them. Okay. And once they started the deal with Disney+, Plus, Netflix canceled all of those shows. And so those will just always be a weird thing that happened in the mid-2010s. Is, these... is Jessica Jones still on Netflix? Yeah, there's like two, three seasons. I only watched... The first one was really good. People loved that when it came out. The first what year was that? 2015. Okay. The first season's good. I heard the second one was kind of shitty, so I never watched it. And then I liked Daredevil. And then the rights to the characters were are under Netflix contracts until like this year or next year. So they could technically pull those characters back into films or Disney Plus shows. Kind of the, the pitch for why they wanted to go on Netflix was they could do slightly more mature storylines. Sure. So they're much more gritty and sexual and violent. So I don't know how that would really translate to Disney Plus. Anyway, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what they're going to do. I hope they do something with at least Daredevil because I, I, I personally love that character. But one show they did, which I actually think you would like, they only did two seasons of it, was an Agent Carter show that they brought Haley Atwell back to play Peggy Carter. And it's set in the 50s. Her experiences as a spy and also like a woman in the workplace in the 50s kind of a thing. Okay. I like her. That's on Disney Plus right now. It's pretty good. Marvel TV kind of didn't really go anywhere. It's a moot point now because... Disney Plus is going to properly do what they were intending to do this entire time. All right, two more movies leading up to Age of Ultron. Captain America, The Winter Soldier. It's directed by Anthony and Joe Russo. Do you know those names? Mm, no. I know you've seen them on screen a lot. Prior to this, they are mostly known for the movie You, Me, and Dupree. Okay. And also being executive producers on a ton of comedies, including directing between the two of them. 10 episodes of Arrested Development, 25 episodes of Happy Endings. Community. 69 episodes of Community. Okay, yeah, I've seen that name. Yeah. They were hired to direct this movie off the back of the paintball episodes of season two, which we haven't seen yet, but we're getting close to. Okay. Their success with Winter Soldier landed, landed them the job to also direct Captain America Civil War and Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. It's just they have the craziest career of doing all of these TV comedies and then now directing two of the highest grossing movies, including the number one grossing movie of all time. Are they, are they brothers or husbands? or Brothers. Brothers? Yeah. Winter Soldier, they drew a lot of inspiration from political thrillers because most of the movie is Captain America on the run and S.H.I.E.L.D. is after him. Okay. And there's like a the conspiracy. One... I showed you scenes from this. Is this the one where he meets the Falcon? 
Yes. Okay. And so they even hired Robert Redford to play the villain. And Robert Redford was involved with all of these political thrillers, Three Days of the Condor, All the President's Men. And this is the one where the Winter Soldier shows up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's later revealed, I guess spoilers for anyone who doesn't know this, it's, le- it's revealed in the movie that the Winter Soldier is Steve's friend Bucky Barnes, who they thought was killed in World War II, but has since been given a super soldier serum and has been brainwashed. I showed you the scene where that's revealed that it's Bucky. You gasped so loud. <laughs> They're fighting and he pulls off the mask. He stands up and he's like, Bucky? Who the hell is Bucky? Is that when I decided that we're eventually going to be Marvel characters for Halloween? <laughs> You're Captain America and I'm the Winter Soldier. <laughs> it just would it would have taken so much to put those costumes together. And we were like nobody, two years too late. Well, and nobody would get it unless you were like actually like no, you, put, you have to like lean in. They'd get it. I mean, if we were dressed up, if you, if you had the arm, he has like a metal arm. I don't think it's as and much I had Bucky. The shield. I don't think it's as much Bucky as it is Captain America. You would have had to like look like Captain. Like you would, I would have had, had to, to shave my beard. Yeah. Like yeah, get my hair. It would have been so funny, but it was just like a lot of work. So we could still go with my other plan, which is you dress up as Indiana Jones <laughs> and I'm a boulder. No, you wanted me to be the boulder. I said either way, whichever you wanted. <laughs> Throughout, like, whatever party we're at, you just run through and I, like, chase after you. So, yes, yeah, so I'm, the, I'm the boulder. No, I'm the boulder. Whichever. Oh, yeah. Whichever sure. one you want. Sure, Indiana Jones isn't chasing the boulder. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to watch this one with you at some point before the Falcon and the Winter Soldier show comes out. Because I do love, I think Steve Rogers because of, becomes a much more interesting character because of this movie, and so does Black Widow. And I think they have a really good dynamic. The screenwriters talked about how they thought they were would be a great contrast to each other. Black Widow was very modern, not very reverent, and was really straightforward and had a very flexible moral center. That would be a great contrast to, to Steve Rogers. The way to really making his character work, since he is so immovable in his moral yes, moral center, is having a world or a situation around him that comes in direct conflict where he has to stick to those convictions and there are direct consequences to sticking to those convictions. Okay. Something else I think they do really well is, I, th- I might have shown you this, but they're on the run for a lot of the movie. There's a scene where Natasha Romanoff is just taking a shower and so is Steve and they sit on this bed and any other movie would kind of have like a little bit of a romance between the two. I feel like it would have been cheap and really lazy, but instead they just share a conversation about how much they trust each other. I owe you. It's okay. If it was the other way around, and it was down to me to save your life, and you be honest with me, would you trust me to do it? I would now. And I'm always honest. Well, you seem pretty chipper for someone who just found out they died for nothing. Wow. Guess I just like to know who I'm fighting. This movie also makes Captain America a badass. It is some of the best action sequences I've seen in the last 15 years. I just thought Captain America was a so-so character, so going into this in the theaters, it just blew me away how incredible it was. It's some of my favorite action sequences. My favorite type of action sequence is just so grounded and, and hand-to-hand, and I don't know, it's fantastic. I love this movie. The story elements you need to know from this movie, Captain America is working for S.H.I.E.L.D. S.H.I.E.L.D. is secretly Hydra. That's why he goes on the run with Black Widow. They meet Falcon. Hydra wants to make these big helicarriers, the things you love, survey the world and like kill potential 
threats. Captain America ends up bringing all of Hydra down and S.H.I.E.L.D. So the Avengers is an autonomous group. And it's revealed in an after credit scene that a Hydra leader named Baron Strucker has Loki's scepter and he's been doing experiments with it, including creating what he calls the twins, Wanda Maximoff and Pietro Maximoff. Yes. So that this movie leads directly into Age of Ultron. Okay. Last movie, Guardians of the Galaxy. It was directed by James Gunn, who also basically rewrote the script. He is the older brother of Sean Gunn from Gilmore Girls. Yeah. This movie was a huge flex for Marvel because they took incredibly obscure C-level characters who I had never heard of, and it ended up being a massive success that resulted in like every little kid either wearing a costume of or having a plush toy of Rocket Raccoon. Rocket Raccoon or Groot. Yep. I am Groot. <laughs> Why is he strained? I don't know. I've never seen it. It's crazy how much of a success this was off of just nothing characters. That is the strength of the Marvel brand. And they pulled that off. It's almost entirely set in space. It's like a psychedelic throwback 80s retro yeah, fun that's, movie. That's one that I really do want to see. We'll definitely watch those ones before the third one comes out. Okay. They got Chris Pratt from Parks and Rec. They're, it's honestly one of the only franchises that really understands like the charisma of Chris Pratt. I think the Jurassic World movies gets it all wrong. They also have Bradley Cooper voicing Rocket Raccoon. <laughs> Did you know that? Yeah. Hey, I just want to take another look at you. And that Sean Gunn does the motion capture for Rocket Raccoon on set with all of the actors. See, that's great. He's also a character in it. He's like a side character that's really funny. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Vin Diesel does the voice for Groot. I think that one's even funnier than Bradley Cooper. <laughs> it's so weird. Listen to this. He also recorded all of the foreign language dubs of I Am Groot. So we <laughs> did all... There's footage of him just in a recording studio doing, I am Groot, I am Groot, I am Groot, you're Soy Groot. Like in all these different languages. You're Soy Groot. They also got Zoe Saldana and Karen Gillan to play Gamora and Nebula. I love Zoe Saldana. I think you would love these movies I maybe. I also like Nebula, the Ruby Roundhouse. I don't love- Jumanji. Yeah, I like her more in the Jumanji movies. I think she's fine as Nebula. They're stepsisters of their adopted father. Thanos. Boom, 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 boom. Karen Gillum shaved her entire head for this movie before realizing that she would be wearing a prosthetic on her head anyway. <laughs> That's so good. Uh, they did cast for wow, this. how dumb would you feel? You get to the set and you're just bald. Everyone's like, oh. They're like, you didn't need to actually do that. You're wearing like a cap. They cast Josh Brolin, uncredited it at this point, uh, to play Thanos. So he, really all Thanos does in this movie is sit in a chair. But they had Josh Brolin do the motion capture and do the voice. So he is officially cast now as the villain Thanos. People love this movie. I think it's a very enjoyable movie. It has a lot of heart. It's a very lovable movie. People in general just went crazy for this. Okay. The only story things you really need to know about this movie, um, it's actually very important to the overall Infinity story. Nebula and Gamora are really important characters to Thanos, but this is a pretty much a standalone movie, uh, but it does introduce those key characters. It also introduces the Power Stone, another Infinity Stone. That's like the MacGuffin of this movie that Thanos is trying to get that the Guardians need to like make sure. Sure. <laughs> That's funnier. So that is the fourth Infinity Stone now, the Power Stone. Oh, and this movie also actually officially introduces the Infinity Stones. And like, there's a character who basically lays out for the audience, these are the six stones. This is what they can do. They're very powerful. Oh, okay. Before creation itself, there were six singularities. Then the universe exploded into existence 
and the remnants of these systems were forged into concentrated ingots. Infinity Stone. Which leads us to... Age of Ultron! Age of Ultron. Like I said, though, this movie picks up directly after Winter Soldier. Hydra has scattered around. They have Loki's scepter. The movie immediately starts with the Avengers all assembled again, descending on this Hydra compound to get Loki's scepter back. The year is 2015. Barack Obama is president. This top song the weekend this movie came out, See You Again by Wiz Khalifa. Oh, that's sad. Out of respect, are you not going to sing it? I actually can't remember how it goes, which is... That's the same song with Charlie Puth? Because there was another song from The Fast and the Furious that was like, Our House or something, Our Family. Oh, I'm... It's almost definitely called my our family. Saying, La Familia. I'm saying all of the keywords. Anyway, continue. I'll just list off a couple 2015 things to help you get in the right mindset, okay? Is this the year I graduated college? Me too. <gasps> the TV show Empire. Katy Perry and Left Shark. Oh boy. <laughs> Is it black and blue or gold and white? Holy crap, I forgot about that. I bet you did. Zane left One Direction. His best choice ever. Whoa. I don't know if that's a hot take. I was never, I was never into One Direction. Me neither, if you can believe that. But you know what? I was so into Zane. In your opinion, he just got rid of the dead weight. Exactly. Well, no, they all are better solo artists. All right, a couple other 2015 things. Amy Schumer, Fifty Shades of Grey, Taylor Swift's Bad Blood, and the 1989 World Tour. Weird. Hamilton, Hello by Adele, Making a Murderer, Oof. Dad Bod. Dad Bod? Just the term. Not a dad bot in particular? Uh, Leo's. Like <laughs> oh, the one okay, on the yacht. Okay, yeah. okay. And finally, this movie is about two and a half months away from Donald Trump announcing he's running for president. Holy shit. Do you think you're ready? I'm ready. You primed? Primed. You have all the knowledge you need to to all the knowledge. properly enjoy this movie. All the knowledge. Knowledge. knowledge to properly enjoy. Yeah, I do. Oh, before we go, I know that I just spent a lot of time detailing the background, behind the scenes, what happens in all the movies. But I just to help visualize this for you, I just... Oh, you know I love your charts. I really want to just so you could really properly convey visually <laughs> where each of the characters are going through different phase two movies. I'm looking at a Word doc mm -hmm. with images dragged on to a blank word doc those are theatrical posters of the phase two movies <laughs> okay yeah why don't you just say it <laughs> and helpful lines so you got like to iron man see uh -huh, and like yeah. so all these characters were in avengers they went to their own little own films and then you'll well, why see them guardians again of the galaxy because anymore? guardians of the galaxy is kind of separate you don't technically have needed to see that before avengers but it, okay. it came out this year these are like 2012 2013 are these guys in avengers they will be in Avengers Infinity War and okay. Endgame. Any other questions? No questions from me, Your Honor. All right, let's do it. We're back. Courtney, what, what did we just watch? We watched The Avengers Age of Ultron. What did you... Hold on, is it The Avengers or is it Avengers Age of Ultron? So... Marvel's The Avengers Age of Ultron. No. The Avengers. The first one is only the, the only movie with a the. Okay. Otherwise, it's always Avengers, Avengers Age of Ultron. And they really, I noticed this, they really used to hammer the Marvel thing before. And I don't think, I don't think they really, they probably don't feel the need to anymore. So it was always legally Marvel's The Avengers 
on everything. Okay. Just I just needed to know for my personal record. Well, did you know that when they released the first Avengers in England, in the UK, it was Avengers Assemble, which was the title of the movie, because the Avengers was a spy show from the 60s. It was really popular. Oh, yeah. And then they actually made an adaptation in the 90s with Uma Thurman and Ray Fiennes, which was a huge bomb. I feel like prior to these movies, when you say the Avengers, that's what you think of in the UK. Okay. So that's why they changed the name of it. So there wouldn't Didn't be confusion. Didn't they change it somewhere else in a different language like Russia, you told me? Oh, no. Maybe it was last. Captain America, the first Avenger. They added that subtitle in case other oh, properties yeah. didn't want to release a movie called Captain America. Okay. Got it. Yeah. That makes sense. Did you know the Avengers is one of my dad's favorite TV shows? Yeah. He loves it. He t- you guys talk about it a lot. Yeah. Well, anytime I used to talk about the Avengers movies, that was his go-to joke that was, got funny every time we watched avengers age of ultron yeah we did now you've seen this before yep but now you've seen it all the way through yes what did you think i loved it i like it better than the first one it's just more exciting Uh, i wonder if it was more exciting to me because i already i already knew the characters like the first one just kind of sets up the avengers which is great and you need it but this one was like a story i was engaged in do you think it had anything to do with you knowing where the movie was going? Did you think that had an yeah, impact maybe. at all? Or? Yeah, maybe. It was like easier to follow. So they start out and they're in, I always want to call this place Kosovo. 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 It's called Sokovia. It's, it's Sokovia. A, a made up Eastern European country. Right. That's what I want to call it, Kosovo. So they start out, they're there. They're battling for something you don't really know what they're battling for. Mm-hmm. Somebody, what's his name in the castle? Baron Strucker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got Loki's staff. So that's what they're getting they're trying to get yeah they get it they go back to the avengers tower iron man decides like he is gonna use it to make not a soldier but like a something to protect an artificial intelligence program for peace yes keeping so then it basically just goes really poorly and he turns out to be ultron who is too smart for everyone and everything and that's where the conflict comes in i feel like the general consensus is that the first one is better than this and that this has a lot of flaws but it's weird that you say that because there's a part of me that enjoys this one more than the first one everything about the first one it was very novel the idea right and it was weird that it worked and i think the newness of it and that they actually executed it well made it very exciting at the time a lot of the criticisms of age of ultron is it kind of repeats some of the things that the first one did in a way that doesn't feel too fresh but what i like more about ultron is the first one is all about telling a tight story about are these people going to be a team this one is about ideas there's a few nuggets in the first Avengers, like Loki kind of, during one of his monologues, talks about how maybe people would, maybe are built to be ruled, and that that's in our nature, that we'd like to be ruled. So there are some nuggets in the first Avengers, but this movie is all about different characters with different philosophies and worldviews coming into conflict. And yeah. the best parts of the movie are characters arguing and debating Joss Whedon up to the game with the di- I think the dialogue is richer and more nuanced. I agree with that. You just had more time with the characters. Yeah. Hours of more time. So they're just better rounded. They're they're more interesting and more nuanced. They're more three-dimensional characters anyway than in the first one. I do like the first one a lot. I think it was amazing what it did. And it was perfect for what it needed to do at the time. But I feel like, I don't know. Age of Ultron gets a lot of hate that it does not deserve. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. When you told me people don't really like that one, I it's crazy to me because it... I get it only because I feel like those big ideas and those... Okay, devil's advocate. Well, okay. No, no, no. Hear me out. Because I kind of feel the same way too watching it. Those ideas 
It's almost like the movie is at war with itself. It wants to be a more interesting, introspective movie, but at the same time, it tries to go way too big with the set pieces. They're too long. Like even I check out through a lot of them. The movie ends essentially with the Avengers fighting another faceless army, which is only to showcase the Avengers just fighting and there's not really any stakes because it's just them fighting a bunch of minions, Yeah. which is what they did in the first one. So I, the criticisms are fair, but yeah, I feel like fair. people overlook a really interesting movie underneath mm -hmm. all of those things. The best part of this movie is vision. Really? Oh yeah. Okay. When he pops up out of the cradle, first of all, you don't know what's happening in the cradle for a long time. And you've been staring at like Ultron and you've been staring at like robots. I like watching this for the first time. I was like, I was like, okay, so like another thing like them is going to pop out. And then it's something truly so beautiful. Like <laughs> <laughs> he just like pops up out of the cradle and like does that like he's like he likes, he's on his like, like conscious it's like a kind of it's like a slow-mo like it's so and then he's cool he goes into like a hunch yes and then he flies off the cradle and slows down right before he gets to well, the window he and thor like oh yeah tumble yeah, a little bit right. and they get thrown through the wall and he just stops. stops himself he is so cool and they have this kind of like light very beautiful and like eerie kind of music as he's just staring at the city lights it's, just it's contemplating it's life honestly you're just like what is that yeah because and he like i'm really interested i bet you have some information on this i'm really interested in what the ratio was between like makeup wardrobe and cgi with vision because he looks so cool i know it was a combination of both like they had a pro they had prosthetics and makeup on paul bettany's face mm -hmm. and like a headpiece that kind of like made his head round and like a whole outfit but then there were certain dots because they kind of make they kind of mechanized some of his face his pupils are very mechanical and mm -hmm. obviously like the cape is all digital it was a pretty good blend i would say i think that must be why it's so it looks so cool that's so funny because i just have known who vision was i knew that vision was going to be in this movie so i knew the person they were making was going to look like vision i wish i had gone into this movie knowing nothing about these characters and just because if you think if all you have to go on is what the avengers movies have been up to this point it's a lot of pretty generic superhero stories and then they fight aliens too and then have this movie have an evil robot which you frankly have seen a lot in science fiction create a weird humanoid android yeah. you would just be like the hell am i watching yeah it would just feel like such a weird left turn in in a good way yeah it was thrilling it was so cool and then that whole thing where you're just kind of like is he good is he bad is he good and then find it's that out real such quick. an interesting conversation they have with him because tony creates him because he feels like this is our chance to make what ultron should have been and we need him to defeat ultron and there's like a friction within the avengers it's like a little mini fight over the the cradle because Captain America's like, what are you doing? You're doing this again, right? Yeah. Bruce Banner's like, if we're wrong about you, if you're the monster that Ultron made you to be, what will you do? It's, it's the best part. I'm glad that you kind of see what I see in this movie too, which is there's weird elements that are so interesting and very unique for a big blockbuster movie like this. And the best parts of the movie are conversations people have yeah. and not a bunch of superheroes fighting robots. Right. Those are, we weirdly enough, I feel like those are the weaker part of the movie. And like the characters are very human and like they, they suddenly turn from like, because like that's what I was saying at the beginning. In the first one you have, you're introducing all of these characters mm -hmm. and people know who they are because they've read about them and comic books and like played with the toys. 
But like in this one, you do have so much more time, and so you get you get to know them better as like humans or gods or you know whatever they are. Well, even within the within the context of the story, they've they've known each other for a long time. So right. you're just you're dropped mid mission. They are a well oiled team to the point where, and I really like this touch where they even have a method of okay, if a situation gets really hairy, we have a code green. The Hulk comes in, and when we need to calm down the Hulk, Natasha Romanov has a, a lights out protocol. Like they've they've been doing this so much yeah the conflict is what can you then do to try to tear apart the team like you said like they're flawed the entire plot of this movie is because tony stark did something wrong which i think is your favorite part of the movie I love it. Yeah. He is so interesting in this movie. His personality and his character arc is my favorite in the whole show. Uh, sorry, in the whole series. His dynamic with Steve Rogers and watching their relationship change and their worldviews change throughout this entire series is one of my favorite aspects of this kind of long-form storytelling. What I like is the events of the first Avengers dramatically changes both Steve and Tony and sets them sets them on really interesting character trajectories that continue through all of the phase two movies and through Age of Ultron and beyond. I feel like their personalities don't change, but what changes is the situations around them and how they're reacting. So before the Avengers, Tony is just self-obsessed and he's so arrogant, but he still has like an eye to the future, right? He's this narcissist. He like flaunts his own abilities as Iron Man because he thinks like I'm top dog. Like I'm the smartest man in the world. After the events of the Avengers with realizing that there's other threats beyond this world and aliens, Tony's narcissism suddenly makes his ego so fragile and he's so paranoid now. And he, like all this anxiety of I'm suddenly a very small fish in a very big pond. And he's constantly worried about what's going to come next. Like he has that line where he's like, what if the world was safe? What if next time aliens roll up to the club and they will, they couldn't get past the bouncer. He's like, and that's his motivation for creating Ultron. Mm -hmm. Contrastly, Steve Rogers is inherently just a really good person. He tells the German scientist who gives him the super soldier serum when he's like, Do you want to kill Nazis? Is this a test? Yes. I don't want to kill anyone. I don't like bullies. I don't care where they're from. And I don't think his personality doesn't change. He still inherently like has a really strong moral center throughout all of his movies. It's just the circumstances around him changes. So when you bring him into a postmodern world, he comes into conflict with a morally gray world that he never was really familiar with or encountered before. Their worldview collides in ways in the Avengers and Age of Ultron, which makes their relationship so interesting because it's strained by different approaches to the same goal. There's like a weird tension and animosity between the two of them, but they have like a respect and friendship too. Uh -huh. There's a bond underneath it all, and they you can tell they want to be friends. Going further, especially into Civil War, watching that how that complex friendship just gets fractured. And it's only benefited by multiple movies where you just really get to spend time with these characters and make them feel more nuanced. Yeah, that's why probably you like it so much. Like you're so attached to it because it's over like several movies and it's not something you can just create yeah. in 10 minutes. No. It's something that like takes... Took a decade. Yeah. 
I think most of the characters that were introduced in the Marvel Universe, seeing where they end up at the end of like Infinity War and Endgame, they're very two-dimensional and boring at the very start of yeah. this whole endeavor because of how how much they grow and how much they change over time. It's interesting. I wonder if that that must be why I don't like the first one very much because I know I've seen the last ones. It could be because they feel kind of flat. Yes. I mean, what's beautiful about the first one is the simplicity of the story and that's why it works so well. But well, and once yeah. you've seen so, so many other movies in this series, the simplicity is kind of boring and yeah. it just is... But it wouldn't be if it was your first time seeing an Avengers movie or anything no. like that. You'd be so excited and you would build up to that. And you need that simplicity to make this concept even work the first time because they were still figuring out how do we make a how do we make a movie like this work with this many characters? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Tony's I just feel like his motivation is so relatable for what he's doing. So even when he screws everything up, the conversation he has with Bruce Banner early on in the movie about Ultron. Yes, when he says, "I see a suit of armor around the world." Sounds like a cold world, Tony. I've seen colder. This one, this very vulnerable blue one. It needs Ultron. One, it's just really good dialogue. But two, you just really, you just so thoroughly understand where he's coming from. I really like this movie is the Avengers screw up and have to clean up their own mess. Mm -hmm. What I like about how these movies bleed into each other, the consequences of this movie directly influence Civil War, which we'll be watching. That's a Captain America movie. Yes, but it affects basically all of the Avengers. Okay. The plot of Civil War only really happens because of this movie. Because of Age of Ultron? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. After the first Avengers, Thanos is in the end credit scene. So I, along with most people, kind of assumed that the Avengers sequel would be about Thanos. But Joss Whedon didn't want to use him. Even though it was his idea to put him at the end of the first Avengers, he was just kind of like, I don't really want to do the Thanos movie. I want to do someone else. I want to do Ultron because... Robert California. Exactly. What's his real name? James Spader. James Spader. There is something so charismatic about that guy. I disagree. What? So creepy about him. I think we're saying the same thing. I think we are too. I mean, I can't not watch him. (laughs) Whenever he's on screen, you're just like, what is this guy going to do next? When Whedon wanted to do Ultron, Spader was his only choice to play Ultron. Because of Spader's hypnotic voice that can be eerily calm and compelling. I got no strings on me. I also think Ultron is a much more compelling villain than Loki. I think that's another reason why I like this movie more than the first one. Yes, I agree. Loki's silly. Yeah. In a way. And he's honestly, he's not like the actual conflict of that movie. Right. But Ultron, what I liked about him was he's a mixture of a robot and a human. They're like, you know, peace in our time. He has like this equation of Ultron's created to be a peacekeeping program. And so in his mind, he does the math of like, well, if we really want peace on the earth, we have to should kill everyone. But he also has human emotions mixed in because he's like pieces of Tony Stark and Bruce Banner. He's like angry and bitter and he's like petulant. Whedon called him a robot who is genuinely disturbed. And <laughs> Spader called him self-absorbed, immature, like a dangerous child. He also has this like religious grandeur. Like he's always, yes. did you catch all the, like, these like biblical, re- he yeah. always speaking in biblical terms. And even his grand plan of recreating a meteor. It's almost like he puts upon himself this biblical scope. He's such a weird, unique character. He is a weird, very weird villain. In the comic books, Ultron was originally created by Hank Pym, who was the first Ant-Man. But they just hadn't really brought in Ant-Man yet. 
and they didn't want to introduce another character in this movie. So they just decided to have Robert Downey, not Robert. They decided to have Tony Stark and Bruce Banner create him. Okay. That first time they see Ultron is so creepy. I think that's also part of why I like this movie a lot. It feels a lot more, uh, not horror-ish, but it feels like there's more at stake, just creepier in general. Even their flashbacks are so creepy. Natasha's is so scary. I know. Agreed. Those parts are so interesting. Yeah. In fact, when I first showed this to you, those elements that work the best in the movie are those bizarre elements like that. And also just having the Avengers interact and hang out. So I think I only meant to show you the scene where they're trying to lift Thor's hammer. Oh, that part's so good. Because I'm like... So freaking good. You almost want a movie, just like a hangout movie of just the Avengers. And then it's so good because I was like, I'll show her this because she'll like this because it's funny. And it's them being real characters. Yeah. And then how wonderfully it's just inner, like it's just cut off by Spader. And like he's, he's in like the broken Ultron bot. He's leaking. He's leaking. And like his voice is still modulating. So it's like. It's so good. It's so creepy. I mean, that those two scenes to them combined are what pulled you in for the rest of the entire movie. Yeah. So we have the six Avengers returning in this movie. We also have some major new additions to the cast. And then like a bunch of cameos spread out. We see like a little bit of War Machine, Falcons in there too. Mm-hmm. Was it hard for you to keep track of? No, not at all. Okay. The two newest additions were Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. I love Elizabeth Olsen. You know what? I do too. I actually forgot how uh, interesting she is in this movie. Yeah, her character is just very compelling and like, she's so charming to me in that same way of like, I can't help but just watch her in everything she's in. And like, particularly this movie, she's so interesting and like, the way that she moves is interesting. Did you know that her talking to Joss Whedon, they talked about her wanting to f- be very balletic, the way she moved. And so she oh. actually trained with a da- like a dance crew instead of with a stunt team. For the movie. Oh. So it's interesting you said that. She's beautiful. She's, I love her so much. So early on in the movie, she messes with Tony Stark's mind. And so that he sees a vision of all the Avengers dead. And it was his fault. She can see that she's setting into motion the rest of the movie, basically. She's going to let him take the scepter. And Quicksilver's like, we're letting him get away. And she just smiles. There's something menacing. I can't yeah. explain what it is, but yeah, she's really captivating to watch. She's yes. So I, was he. So was her brother. I not, was not as much. I was but like, less interested in him. His eyes are very interesting. Yeah. His power is not as cool. Well, you you already know this. These characters are shared with Fox. Joss Whedon wanted these two in the movie because he thought that their powers would be visually interesting to show. The characters of Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch in the comic books. They are mutants. They're X-Men characters. They're the son and daughter of Magneto, the X-Men villain. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. But because in the comics, they're so tied to... Scarlet Witch is a regular Avengers character. So weirdly enough, the rights to these characters are were split between Fox, who owned all the X-Men characters, and Marvel, who owned the Avengers characters. There were weird stipulations, like they couldn't mention that they were mutants. So that's why they alter their origins so that they're turned into... They're, they're given these powers through the scepter. Okay. And they can't mention Magneto or any reference to mutants or X-Men, right? Just before... It's like a weird divorce. It, it is... <laughs> 
It's like I said, the weird business aspect of this and how it impacts what should be just this easy commercial slam dunk. It's they're, it, they're really weird. Yeah. It was kind of hampered because the year before this movie, there was an X-Men movie that featured their version of Quicksilver. I think I showed you the sequence with Evan Peters where he slow-mos around that kitchen oh, and yeah, stops the all the character. bullets. Yeah. That is, yeah, that's technically their version of Quicksilver. And their version is just... A million times cooler and that sequence is so was so entertaining and i remember watching that and thinking like shit nothing that they're going to do with quicksilver will be nearly as interesting in yeah. the avengers movies do they, show they this... kind of took care of that in a way yeah, they did. <laughs> did they show do they have the scarlet witch in that x-men movie no weirdly enough they only have quicksilver as a character they don't do the both of them oh but he is magneto's son in that movie and now it's not even an issue because... He's dead. Well, he's dead, but also now Marvel owns Fox. Oh, sure. So they're going to somehow introduce the X-Men in the Marvel movies. I'm not really sure how they're going to do that. If they're, Are they going to retcon her so that she is a mutant? Are they going to just leave her as her own character? I have no idea what they're going to do. But when I first saw this in theaters, I just kept thinking like, this Quicksilver is really boring. So in the X-Men movies, they're not from Sokovia. No. They're just American. They are. They're still Eastern Europe. European. Oh, because I guess he's German. And he's Polish. Polish. Yeah. Magneto is. Yeah. Well, it depends. Some. Uh, yeah. I think he's. I think he's Polish. But they're still Pietro and Wanda Maximoff. Oh, okay. And in the comics, they started off as Avengers villains before eventually joining the team. So that part, it, that part fits as well. That's like a okay, I pretty talk good about adaptation. That part. I love that part where Hawkeye is talking to Wanda. That was so great. How can I let this happen? Hey, hey, you okay? Hey, look at me. It's your fault. It's everyone's fault. Who cares? Are you up for this? Are you? Look, I just need to know because the city is flying. Okay, look, the city is flying. We're fighting an army of robots. And I have a bow and arrow. None of this makes sense. But I'm going back out there because it's my job. Okay, and I can't do my job and babysit. Doesn't matter what you did or what you were. If you go out there, you fight, and you fight to kill. Stay in here, you're good. I'll send your brother to come find you, but if you step out that door, you are an Avenger. I don't know, I don't really know what to say about it, except that it's just like such a great, like, maybe like relatable, where like how many times has someone been like, hey, you can do this, you can stay safe in here, but like the second you walk out that door, this is what you are, and you have to make that choice. Well, You're and, the only one who can make that choice. And she's like having a breakdown because it's terrifying all everything that's happening around her. Yeah. And she's dealing with the fact that like she feels responsible for what's happening and that they're in her they're in their her home country. Yeah, it's just it's very interesting. And it shows a lot about like Hawkeye's character too. They did Jeremy Renner dirty in the first one, but they really make up for it in <laughs> this one. He's so great in this one. One of my favorite characters probably in this movie. Hawkeye was always kind of like the butt of the joke. Why would you have an archer on this team? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They'd really turn that into like what he brings to the team is that he's just a normal guy. Yeah. Having that whole reveal that he's just had this family on this farm the entire time. It's not really big, but Hawkeye and Scarlet Witch continue to have these little interactions in movies after this that kind of build on. It's almost like they have a special friendship because of that moment that like bound them together. Hmm. 
also that Quicksilver dies saving him. I can't remember if I thought this too, but a lot of people thought they were setting up Hawkeye to die at the end of the movie. Because, like I said last week, Joss Whedon's thing is he kills a likable character at their peak likability. They're building up Hawkeye's character. They introduce his family. He even has like a conversation with his wife where she's like tearfully like, make sure you know what you're doing before you go. That they were like- You just doing that to me gave me chills. (laughs) I did grab your shoulder when I said it. So everyone- like looked me dead in the eyes. So they have that kind of bait and switch and have it be Quicksilver dies, I think was intentionally done because then he even like repeats his line, which he's almost like saying to the audience. He didn't see that coming. And that's actually another part where I think just Elizabeth Olsen is the best. Yeah. When he dies and she just drops to the floor, screams, and just like her grief like blows up all the robots around her. Yeah. I love her. She really is like a, like a witch. (laughs) I feel like she's sadly the most interesting of all of her appearances is this movie because her powers are so weird. Reality shifting and probability and reading minds, they're kind of weirdly defined. And this movie is the only one that really gets into like, she can read minds and screw with people's minds and she's like weird and a little unsettling. And movies following this, it she kind of just is just really powerful physically with her shooting the red stuff. And that's actually why I'm really excited for WandaVision mm-hmm. because I feel like they're going to really explore. It seems like she has some kind of psychic break and creates in her mind idealistic 50s sitcom where she and Vision are like living in the suburbs. I truly cannot wait. My, I, two, my two favorite characters from this movie. I, I'm, By far. I'm really excited for it. I think it's yeah. I think it's gonna be really great. And I feel like they're gonna really like explore what makes her such a weird, bizarre character. Yeah. Something else weird about her is that she's an Olsen sister. The first thing I saw her in was Liberal Arts. Did you see that? Yeah. With Josh Radner. Yeah, she's good in that. I she's, like that movie. Yeah, that's a great movie. And Wind River. Her and Jeremy Renner. Oh my god. Gosh, her and Wind... Whoa, that's weird. I didn't realize they were in it together. I know. Is that weird? That is a great movie. I know. I just... Every time I remember that she's she's an Olsen, it's weird. It's weird, too, because in a way... I mean, everyone knows who the Olsen twins are. Yeah. But in a way, is she more famous than they are right now? Uh, in some ways, she will never be. Right. But if you were to... Ask like a 15 year old right now, do you know who Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen are? Or, and show them a picture of Wanda Maximoff, be like, or do you know who this is? I don't know. Because of these movies. I don't know. I should ask my niece. You should. You'd have to, you should show them a picture of one of the Olsen twins and then show her uh, Elizabeth Olsen as the Scarlet Witch and be like, who do you recognize more? (sighs) Yeah, it's just, it's so weird because they were child stars and they have like flipped careers. Mm -hmm. And I would want her success over. A hundred percent. Yeah. Oh well, the Olsen you twins mean, quit. You wouldn't. Acting. You wouldn't want your legacy being Full House. You'd want it to be <laughs> the most like important movie franchise ever. Their legacy is it takes two. What about the Mary and Kate Ashley books? Mary and Kate Ashley. Who's that? I read some of them because my sister had them. They've got some really, really weird. Uh, from their like, I think it was from their like. The, you know that show they solve mysteries. Yeah. They have some really, really weird YouTube videos. We should post one because they they kind of look like they're like being forced into like singing. <laughs> oh, you'd love them. How I old are they at this point? This. Like five. And they just are like, we're doing this and we're doing that. They're just, they're they're dead inside. And, the, and you watch those and you're like, no, yeah, no wonder. I am the cute one. It's obvious. There's no comparing the two of us. Peanut butter, feed me peanut butter, chunk 
Also, Mary-Kate Olsen mm-hmm. is married to like, maybe she's dating. No, I think she's married to him. Like a 63-year-old guy. What? No, so old. And every picture looks like she's dead inside. Just asking, begging someone to take her away from the situation. And you're like, what? what have you been through? Anyway, I could go on and on about the Olsen twins. I love them so much. Couldn't we all? Yeah. Also, I'm... the name of that show, WandaVision. It's just, it's great. Um, I kind of hated it at first. It's I... clever. No, I get, I get it. No, no, no. It's like Wanda and Vision. Oh, no, okay. Oh, that it's, is funny. It's like a play on their tune. It's only better knowing that it's like some of it's going to be a 50s style sitcom. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know that at the time. Well, we talked about Scarlet Witch for a long time. Did you? Were you surprised that Quicksilver died? I mean, not this time, but the first time you saw it. No, I knew someone was going to die. You did? Yeah. Oh. All right, I want to talk about another pairing in this movie. Okay. Black Widow and the Hulk. Yeah. They have a romance. Mom and dad is what I like to call them. Yeah. I Yeah, I've heard you call that. Them. Mm-hmm. I've heard you call them that. I really, I tried to yes and you, and I didn't have anything. <laughs> what did you think of their romance? I like it. I do too. Did you know we're probably in the minority? Why don't people like it? I don't know. It's not based anywhere. It's not comic based in any way, which is fine. I don't think people. I don't think that's why people dislike it. But I see these things like people felt it was forced. I don't know. I. How do people feel about Black Widow as a character in general? Positively, they really like her. Okay. And they really like Scarlett Johansson's. Uh, performance that's how i feel i love her same i think this movie gets really each movie with black widow peels back another layer yes and makes her a more compelling character yep because she's just like a blank slate in iron man 2 there's nothing to that character and they just keep giving her more and more to do they even say that in this movie i like that too and there's like kind of like a forbidden love kind of aspect to it especially when bruce banner's like hey how do you mind i want you to understand that i'm natasha Where can I go? Where in the world am I not a threat? You're not a threat to me. You sure? Even if I didn't just... There's no future with me. I can't ever... I I can't have this. Kids. Do the math. I physically can't. Neither can I. Did you know there was some controversy around uh, the infertility issue? Why? It had to do with her line of dialogue at the end where she says, They sterilize you. It's efficient. One less thing to worry about. The one thing that might matter more than a mission makes everything easier. Even killing. You still think you're the only monster on the team? And some people were thinking that was implying that women who are infertile are monsters. I didn't, I read it like she's a killer. That's That's how I read it too, because it immediately was after like, she's like, it makes everything easier, even killing. Yeah, that's, I felt like that's what she was talking about. I didn't even read it like that. Same, same. And I usually pick up on stuff like that. I just kind of wanted to point that out. That's interesting. There was some controversy in that, but... And I kind of just think people didn't really like the romance in general. So I just think in general, they just kind of didn't like how it was executed in the movie. But I, I thought it was really interesting. I think it wasn't an element of people were like, so the only thing Natasha Romanoff gets to do in this movie is have a relationship. I I think that's how people kind of interpreted it. But I mean, I didn't see it like that. I guess I could be wrong, but I liked what what they did with both of those characters. Because the first Avengers movie, it's all about Bruce Banner embracing the Hulk, right? 
And in this one, it's much more like, look, do you see what happens with the Hulk? My life is miserable. And just that shot after there's the big Hulkbuster fight in Africa and they're flying away in the jet and he just has that like blanket wrapped around him and he just looks miserable and guilt-ridden. I really like what they did with his character. I do too. And I like that she's, um, that's another layer to her, like that they peel away. She's like this hardcore killer assassin, but she's like Hulk's caretaker in a way. I think a lot of people thought it kind of came out of left field, the romance. It kind of did. I would agree with that. But I feel like... I feel like it's fine because some time has passed and the movie starts off and they clearly have the lullaby thing. Yeah. You can just see that they've been developing feelings for each other. Yeah. And so I totally buy it from, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I, I buy it. I think it's really it. good. I like how poetic it is, I guess, that the end of the movie, Hulk just leaves. Yeah. It's really sad for her. Yeah. Where do you think he went? I don't know. Do you find out? Maybe. Scarlett Johansson was pregnant during the shooting of this film. So they, they front loaded a lot of her scenes earlier in the shoot. But then obviously, like at some point, you just can't really get around it. The way they concealed it was they had a mixture of close-ups of just on her face. They also had like certain outfits that were more concealing. They also used some body doubles. They also, I think I might have even shown you this one time. They would just digitally reduce her stomach. Oh, yeah, you did. So I think I showed a video of her, and she just kind of has a baby bump in her Black Widow costume, and they just digitally reduced her. So they just had to kind of work around it. Whose baby was she pregnant with? I don't know. First husband or second She was married to Ryan Reynolds for... Well, it wasn't his baby. Well, whoever baby that was is like five now. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, Did you like Thor in this movie? Yeah, sure. You know what? I noticed... I. I hadn't seen this in a year. You can see the trajectory of his character get a little more goofier in this. Yeah. And a little more self-referential and like a little more winking at the audience. We know this is silly. Yeah. This was still at the point where you didn't really know that Chris Hemsworth was a very gifted comedic actor. <laughs> and so the few times that he was really funny in this movie, I weren't just kind of like, oh, Chris Hemsworth. Okay. Yeah. But now, I mean, yeah. now they've really leaned into it in a way where Thor is one of the most interesting characters in Infinity War and Endgame. Not, I can't wait because he is not my favorite character. I think he is both hilarious and tragic in those movies. Mm. One of the only times I cried in Infinity War was a scene what? because of Chris Hemsworth's acting. Whoa. I haven't seen Thor Ragnarok, which comes out after this. It does. I would be interested in maybe watching that. Do you want to maybe throw that in the mix? Yeah, because enough people have brought it up. Tell you to watch it? Yeah. It's actually not a bad idea because if Captain America Civil War is like this group of the Avengers that are still on Earth, Thor Ragnarok is like that other half of like, where's Thor during that time? Leading up to Infinity War. Is he not in? Civil War? Oh. No. Because he's off doing... Thor things. Yeah. Thor well, stuff. The storyline of Ragnarok, basically. So yeah, if you wanted to, we could throw that in. I think... Yeah, I think you'd Would like it. Would that be it. next? No, Civil War is. Oh, oh, oh. That's another thing I want to talk about. One of my favorite scenes. His or at least favorite, favorite moments. Have they set it up so perfectly? It is executed so... Mwah. Yeah, when they're trying to figure out if Vision is good or bad. Yes. And they've already done the Captain America thing. You have to assume that people probably haven't seen any Marvel movie. Maybe they haven't even seen the Avengers if they go into Ultron, right? You have to introduce the element that Thor's hammer is only lifted up by Thor. To introduce it in a, like a huge funny gag where they all try to take turns and they can't do it. It's so funny. But it's a trick. No, no, it's much more than that. Uh, whosoever be he worthy shall have the power. <laughs> Whatever, man, it's a trick. <laughs> well, please be my guest. Oh, this is gonna be beautiful. Clint, you've had a tough week. We won't hold it against you if you can't get it up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've seen this before, right? 
Stark, by all means. It's physics. Physics. All right, so I, if I lift it, I, I then rule Asgard? Yes, of course. Are you even pulling? Are you on my team? Just represent, pull. All right, let's go. And? Widow. Oh, no, no, that's not a question I need answered. On surface level, that's just like a funny scene, right? Yeah. But you have just also so like drilled it into the, every audience's mind that everyone in the movie is completely aware of the rules of that hammer so that when Vision is like, Maybe I am a monster. I don't think I'd know if I were one. And not what you are. And not what you intended. So there may be no way to make you trust me. But we need to go. And then he just hands the hammer to Thor. <laughs> and it's just barely off screen and he brings it right into screen. And then there's just a wide shot of all of them looking dumbfounded. <laughs> the gasps in the theater and it's just so beautifully executed. Yeah. I love it. It's well, and it tells you so, so much. good. It tells you everything you need to know about that one character. Yes. Yeah. And that's, yes, because that's the other thing too. And you're like, oh, no more questioning. He's good. He doesn't even get what just happened. He's just like, yeah. we need to go. Hands him the hammer. Yeah. And then Thor just is like, to Stark. Right. Well done. It's beautiful. I love it. Yeah. Ironically, I assume, I assume anyone listening to this podcast has seen Endgame. If not, I guess stop listening. <laughs> but I love that we watched all of those scenes going into Endgame because if you don't understand the dynamics and like the rules around Thor's hammer, that moment does not land as much as it does in Endgame. Yeah. It's so expertly set up, like Joss Whedon, like brilliant work, like really well done. Yeah. When Captain America picks it up or tries to pick it up though and he lifts it a little bit. Yeah. That's, that's really like... Chris Hemsworth is so funny in that part because he's just like, like he's a little bit thrown off and then he's like, and he's like, not even close. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then obviously like my, maybe my favorite scene in the whole movie is the quiet scene with Vision and the very last Ultron Sentry where they're just talking about death and the fate of humanity. It's so beautifully written. In my mind, that is the climax of the movie, is these two ideas of one is humanity's doomed, and the other one is humanity's is beautiful. Humans are odd. They think order and chaos are somehow opposites and try to control what won't be. But there is grace in their failings. I think you missed that. They're doomed. Yes. But a thing isn't beautiful because it lasts. It's a privilege to be among them. You're unbearably naive. Well, I was born yesterday. This was a truly a globe-trotting movie. They filmed in Johannesburg, in London, in Italy. That Italy served was doubled for Sokovia. In Seoul, and New York. The visual effects, the only one I really have for you is that Ultron in the movie is eight to nine feet tall. James Spader is like like maybe 5'10". So, and he did all of the motion capture on set with all the actors. Okay. So what they did was they basically had like a, a metal rod going above his head like three feet with oh, two red those. dots. Where it's like, those are where my eyes are. Yeah, for some reason I think that's so funny. Because it would be so weird talking to you like this. Elizabeth Olsen was saying like his his performance was so bizarre that she kept looking at him then like going back up to where the eyes were so her eyes kept like darting around they kept being like Lizzie look at the red dots <laughs> Is that what people call her Lizzie? Uh-huh. Does that make you like her more? 
I love, I have always loved the name Lizzie. She's my gal. Like I said, the action sequences, I feel like kind of dragged. What did you think about them? I don't mind the Sokovia one. The last one where Sokovia is falling or rising, I guess. I'm okay with it. I think it gets pretty samey where it's just Avengers fighting robots. I'm like, I get it. I get it. There's so many other contrived things happening where it's like the idea of like what exactly they need to do to blow up the rock gets kind of complicated and a little confusing. Yeah, but it's... It's better than the beginning one because there's more at stake. I hate that opening sequence, actually. Yeah. It's just, it's way too much CGI and it's it's just, there's, yeah, there's no stakes. Although, I do love the sequence of all of the Avengers in a tight circle around mm -hmm. like the kill switch fighting off all the robots. It's super self-indulgent, but I just... I love a good fight sequence where just showing off the teamwork, set to like wonderful music, and also my favorite sequence that I think is just genuinely good in the movie, the Hulkbuster fight. Did you notice they called the robot Veronica? Yeah. The thing that shot down? Bruce, I was actually going to ask you about that. Why they called it Veronica? Yeah. Bruce Banner's girlfriend in the comics is Betty, Betty Ross, Betty and Veronica from like Archie. Yeah. You mean from Riverdale? They're Archie comics. They're based on Archie comics. <laughs> don't, you don't, don't even, you know what? <laughs> You remember that one time before we were dating, you were saying how you would go home for lunch to watch Riverdale? And I, and you were like, have you ever seen it? Yeah. Is it like the OC meets Vampire Diaries? Yep. Yes, exactly that. I love Riverdale. I think they came out with a new season. I never finished it, but it's one of those shows that's just like comforting. It reminds me of like late summer, early fall. So I don't oh. usually watch it in the spring. It's always fall in Riverdale. Love it. Yeah. I love that show. Okay. I'm happy Everybody's for hot. I know. All right. How Ultron fits in the larger narrative of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We have now seen four Infinity Stones. The Tesseract, which is currently on Asgard after the first Avengers. Thor took it back to Asgard. And that's where it is, right? Yes. We have the Reality Stone, which was the ether, the red stuff from Thor 2. That is currently with a random guy named the Collector. You just made that up right now. It sounds like I did, but... <laughs> It's, he's played by Benicio Del Toro. The third <laughs> Infinity Stone is the Power Stone from Guardians, which is currently with this like organization, this like government structure called Novacore. Sure. And then the last stone, the Mind Stone, which is in Vision's head. I wish it would stay there, but I know it won't. It is kind of a bummer you're not going into this completely fresh. I know. Oh, well. Nothing we can do about it now. Nope. The end credit scene. <laughs> I actually do love the end, watching the end credits. They're all like marble statues. I also love that too. Yeah, that's great. Because it's also, Alan Silvestri did the score for the first and the other Marvel movies, or sorry, Avengers movies. But this movie is actually scored by Brian Tyler and Danny Elfman. Oh. And so, oh, I could tell that was Danny Elfman. Yeah. And so there's other elements mixed in with the score. It's actually my favorite version of the Avengers score is in this movie. Thanos is in the end credit scene. Yes. At this point, as an audience member, I'm a little nervous that the only times I've seen Thanos, he's just sitting in a chair doing nothing. Am I even gonna care about this villain? Is yeah. he even gonna be that compelling or like make a worthy threat for the Avengers when he eventually shows up in Infinity War? Does he show up in Infinity War? The next time you see him is in Infinity War. Oh, see, I didn't know that. What does he say in, the, in this one at the end? Fine, I'll do it myself. That's pretty good. Thanks. Oh yeah, and then he grabs the glove. <laughs> yep. Joss Whedon came into some conflict with the Marvel executives over some scenes in the movie when he was in editing. Do you know what test audiences are? No. They'll like show the video, show the movie before it's released to like a random selection of people. Okay. Who then like write down their thoughts and then they'll make decisions on what gets cut or kept in because of how audience reacted. What are what's the criteria for being like I have a no test? idea. Sometimes it's like family or friends of the crew and cast because they kind of want to keep it like a lid on like the secrets of the movie. Sure. It's a pretty small sample size if you think about it. 
but they make pretty big decisions about they'll cut things from a movie they'll yeah. change the endings of movies because mm -hmm. of what a test audience said marvel executives wanted to cut out some scenes because of the way that test audiences reacted, particularly the scenes at Hawkeye's farm and the dream sequences, which is insane because those are some of the best parts of the movie. Mm -hmm. It's also weird that Joss Whedon came in, wrote and directed the first Avengers, made $1.5 billion, and their response is, well, we're gonna kind of rein you in a little bit. Just let him do what he's gonna do. It's yeah. weird that that was like their reaction, but. So he fought to keep that in? Yes. What kind of weirdo wants to get rid of the, the mind scenes? I'm positive this is what it was. The farm stuff is too boring. They talk too much. And the dream sequences are weird. I don't get what's going on. Well, people are so annoying. I know. Whedon also shot a lot more of, remember that part where Thor and Eric Selvig go yeah. to that pool? Yeah. He shot more scenes of that. See, I thought that part was kind of weird. and I did too. Yeah, maybe if there was more, I would have understood it. It also, I felt like it's just like they're trying to shoehorn in the Infinity Stones. He had more of it where Thor got possessed by this Norse goddess, and then Eric Selvig quizzed the goddess about the dream. And Whedon was like, can I leave some of this in more? And they were like, look, either you can put in those extra scenes at the pool, or we get to cut the farm. In Whedon's words, the studio executives pointed a gun at the farm. So he's like, I guess I'll keep the farm. Well, I thought that was a good choice. You know when they have like the dream sequences, they all see people from their past, like Steve Rogers, yeah. Steve's Peggy. They wanted to have Loki show up in Thor's. And they even shot some scenes with Tom Hiddleston. They ended up cutting the scene because it confused test audiences who thought that Loki was somehow in control of Ultron. I actually could. Could you? If that had happened, yeah, because Loki, maybe not in control of Ultron, but you would have thought that he was in control of the mind stuff because he can do that. But like if it's intercut with Captain America and Black Widow's weird dreams, wouldn't you be like, they're all having weird dreams? No, I thought it would be, I think it would be confusing. It, it would just complicate things a lot. It confused them enough that they cut it, they didn't include it in the movie. So in the final shot, uh, of all of the new Avengers at the end of the movie. Whedon also wanted to include Spider-Man and Captain Marvel, but ended up not including them because they couldn't get a deal worked out with Sony to put Spider-Man in. And they hadn't had someone cast for Captain Marvel. Maybe we shouldn't just throw her in at the end because people won't know who she is. Let's just introduce her later and have her do her own thing. I think that was probably smart. That's it would have been exciting to see Spider-Man though. That would have been crazy if at like the end of the movie just Spider-Man showed up. People had these questions of if people are playing the same character for like a decade and say like Robert Downey Jr. gets too old, are we just going to recast Tony Stark? Like these were conversations I remember people like wondering like, what are we going to do with these characters? And what they ended up doing which was smart, is what happens in the comics where people just move on or the Avengers roster is always shifting in the comic books. Or you have people take on the mantle of Steve Rogers is no longer Captain America. Now it's Sam Wilson. So you have these like, the story continues on. So do you on. think they'll have more Avengers? Absolutely. Movies? Mm -hmm. With cool. the current team, which is like Black Panther, Captain Marvel, Spider-Man, yeah. Doctor Strange. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. And so that's what I really liked at the end of the movie where you had Clint Barton, Hawkeye's retired. Tony Stark is like, you know what? I'm retiring too. The Hulk is gone. Thor's off world. So you have a brand new roster of superheroes, this new Avengers team. Captain America, Black Widow, Falcon, War Machine, Vision, Scarlet Witch. So when we go into Civil War next week, that is the Avengers team that has been operating for a year. Okay. This movie was a big hit. Just barely didn't make as much as the first Avengers. It still made $1.4 billion. <laughs> but it got 75% Rotten Tomatoes because people were just kind of mixed on it. This movie kind of broke Joss Whedon. The experience of going back and forth with the executives, he talks about the weight of the expectation of following up the first Avengers. For the first time in his professional career, he had these creeping doubts of what he was doing. He said, that was the hardest work I've ever done. It broke me a little bit. 
<laughs> That's Avengers Age of Ultron. It's great. I think I know the answers to this, but who is your favorite character? Wanda and Vision. I don't separate them. Who is your least favorite character? It's a tie between Captain America and Thor. Probably Thor. That's fair. He's better in this one, but he's still a little bit... He's still flat to me. Kind of the least... In, he, he doesn't really do anything in the movie. Yeah. He's the one that's given the least amount to do. At what point were you most engaged in the movie? The party and when they're all hanging out. That stuff's so good. I know. Also, I was pretty engaged for the visions that they had, and then they get on the ship, yeah. and they're all really shaken up. I was actually watching when they had that big party. Who was at that party? I don't know. I was just, there was some random faces of just some young 20-somethings. <laughs> Who's invited to the Avengers after party? <laughs> uh, when were you least engaged in the movie? I honestly, I didn't love the Hulk-Iron Man fight. It was a lot of action for me. I'll tell you. <laughs> sure, tell me. I know what you mean. It has some of the... It's, it's big. It has some of my least favorite elements of action in it. Big action, explosions, too much, but it just has enough little funny moments. Working backwards of like, if you're Tony Stark, what kind of things would you put in a suit to have to subdue the Hulk? Yeah. It just is funny to me. And like the hand, like the, the jackhammer fist. Yeah, that, yeah. Go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. <laughs> It does get to a point where you almost can't really track what's happening because right. too many, too much destruction's happening. I'm right there with you, okay? All right. And my last question: Who had the best costume and the worst costume? Vision, best, hundred percent. Especially when he sees Thor's cape. I love that. And, and he just was like, he's like, oh. hmm. I don't like the Scarlet Witches. I'm gonna show you what Scarlet Witch looks like in the comics, okay? Okay. Oh. Would you have rather had that? <laughs> Do you know there's a shot of Elizabeth Olsen in the WandaVision promo where she has him set up like that? I want to show you Vision from the comics just to see like how well they kind of brought him to life. Oh, he's so freaking cool. So Paul Bettany has shared this story before. I'll just kind of paraphrase it for you really quick. He essentially had gone in to meet with a producer, which he won't name. And the producer was basically like, look, buddy, your career's done. Like, you're done. You're not getting any work. No offers are coming from you. You're, you're done. And I guess they kind of had a, a big fight about it, like kind of a blow up, where Paul Bettany would, kind of was like, you know what? You're wrong. This, you don't know this town. People have like third, fourth chances. He's like, I'm going to come back and left. And immediately after leaving, his kind of like legs gave out. And he was like, what if my career really is done? And he said he walked outside and sat down on the sidewalk, which was on Sunset Boulevard. And in that moment, he got a phone call from a number he didn't recognize. He answered it. The voice on the other end was like, hi, this is Joss Whedon. I'm wondering if you want to be Vision in the next Avengers movie. <laughs> I would never look at Paul Bettany and... Well, he was the voice of Jarvis in the first one. He was. He was he's been the voice of Jarvis in like five movies. Okay, yeah. But that was just... He'd go into a studio and record like three or four hours of dialogue and then go home. At no point was there ever a plan for him to become the Vision when he was hired. That's not how Vision is created in the comics. Oh, okay. Jarvis is actually like an actual butler that is in the Avengers Tower. Weird. That they modernized by making it Tony Stark's AI. It is brilliant casting because look at the face of Vision. Yeah. It's him literalized and brought to life. Yeah, and I like Paul Bettany a lot. I always like Paul Bettany. What do you think Paul Bettany's apex is? Do you think it's this or do you think it's Naked Butt in Knight's Tale? <laughs> He's also like the monk or whatever in... <laughs> Angels and Demons? Yeah. <laughs> or the Da Vinci Code? Oh, he's also, I mean, uh, oh, the Prodigal Son Returns in A Beautiful Mind. Oh, I have a 
seen that in a while. I think Apex of knowing who Paul Bettany is, is a Knight's Tale. I think Apex okay. of people just recognizing him, maybe not being like, that's Paul Bettany, is the Avengers. Hands down, more people have seen him as the Vision than probably any character he's ever played. Yeah, probably. So that's got to be it, right? he's not like leading man. But he's good. I he's, like him so much. He's fantastic. He gives like a great speech in A Knight's Tale. He kind of got into a weird pissing match with Jason Statham. What? Jason Statham said something about how like uh, Marvel movies and action movies, these like superhero movies aren't real acting. Oh, Jason Statham can... I'll show you the clip. Jason uh, Statham was talking smack about the Avengers recently. And I don't know if you're aware, but he said, quote, I could take my grandma and put her in a cape and they'll put her on a green screen and they'll have stunt doubles come in and do all the action. Anybody can do it. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I heard about this and I heard... Thank you. I, <laughs> I, 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 Mark Ruffalo was very funny uh, about... I don't know why anybody would talk smack about some... You know, it's a round world. However you earn your living is... Is great. He's brilliant at what he does. Right. You know, I, I, I couldn't do it. And it's true, you know, there are times when... I try and do as many of the stunts as I can myself, right. but there are times when it's too dangerous or it's too tricky, and even the producer says this is too dangerous and tricky for you. And, you know, potentially he should maybe think about investing in, like, a, an acting double. You know right. what I'm... You know what I'm... <laughs> I would never, I would never talk shit about somebody else's work, but you know, I'm just saying that you know, I've read the contract. They employed me as an actor. You know, there's, there's obviously stunt men in the world. You've met them, you see them. Yes, they, they're very they, good at what they they're do. They're very good at what they do. So let them uh, do it. But if yeah. there's a really, really tricky scene with some very tricky dialogue, one might consider <laughs> bringing in an acting double for Jason Statham. I'm just... Just, just you're going to put it out there. I, he may have just been trying to drum up work for his grandma. <laughs> Statham, I have it's like, such it's like, a problem with, like, actors. Was it Martin Scorsese, too, that shit on, like, superhero movies? Yeah. I have such a problem with that because it's like, do you guys think you're curing cancer? <laughs> Like, you're all actors and writers, and yeah, that's important, but, like, we don't need to, like... I do think Scorsese's... I think his comments got taken out of context. I think it was, like, someone... Kind of a gotcha question where they knew it would get a headline. Oh, okay. But he referred to them as theme park rides. Okay. But it's, like, I feel the same where I'm, like, you know what? Even the most, like, hoity-toity, artsy film is still a movie. What yeah. are movies but meant to move us on an emotional level, right? Yeah. If that's what... They're if that's, necessary. If we that's all them. a movie does... That's a success. And if these movies connect with a huge amount of people and make them feel something, anything, positive, most likely, but like they're feeling something in this movie, they feel connected to the people around them and to a larger sense of community. How is that yeah. not like a just a net good? Yeah. The Scorsese stuff. Like, have you seen that Simpsons joke where it shows like that newspaper clipping that's like old man yelling at cloud? <laughs> it's no. like what it felt like where it's like I don't know Scorsese is one of the most gifted directors I hate to just kind of shit on him but I mean it got good press for his movie so I wonder if that kind of was the whole point of it what movie was it the, the Irishman he was doing press for oh the Irishman that won zero Oscars whoa okay Courtney's picking a fight <laughs> with Martin Scorsese uh, that we saw in theaters that because I fell asleep in. I had been told by a lot of podcasts that I still respect that the way to watch that movie was in a theater, so you could surrender to the movie oh as gosh. they put it. Surrender to my the back of my eyeballs. Well, you know, when we were walking away to our car and trying to feel the blood flowing back to our butts, 
I finally realized what I was like trying to put my finger on the entire time was that it felt like we were on a flight. Yeah. And we were crunched into these chairs. And yeah, I guess I have four hours here, so I guess I'm going to watch this movie. That's That was the enjoyment level and like the attention level I was into it. It was so... I wish I'd watched it in three segments at we home. We would have liked it. Uh, yeah. In spite of how miserable that experience was, I still liked it. So I would have loved it probably from the comfort of our home. Yeah. All right. If <laughs> That's all I got. Are you excited to move on? Yeah. I'm curious. Do you think you'll like any of the other ones more? I don't know. Did you like Endgame more than this? Yeah, probably. Okay. Well, I'm excited for Civil War. You haven't seen it and it's one of my favorites. We are going to do a shout out to a few listeners. The first to Steve Cannon. I need to call him back, but he left me a voicemail after the I Am Legend episode to tell me he also remembers walking around my house with me being t- being scared <laughs> and that he had weirdly just finished reading the novel. Just barely? Yeah, like a month ago. Weird. I know. Isn't that weird? And then I remembered I almost bought that same book um, on Amazon once, but every version I was looking for... The cover had like vampires kind of on it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it kind of creeped me out. And I was looking for one that was just a blank cover and I never could find one. He recommended reading it because he was wondering if he should watch the movie again because he remembered how freaked out we were. Well, you should. You should watch it, Steve. Uh, Also a shout out to Kenan Barris, who gave our podcast a really nice, really... The most, the nicest review and share... It was so nice. We were so flattered. Yeah. She and Aaron have been going through Star Wars on Disney Plus and have been listening to our podcast too and just were so great to us about it. So yeah. that was really nice. Thank you, Kenan. Yeah. We had a lot of people reach out to us in response to dropping the Avengers, which mostly just goes to show that I guess we should stop talking about movies that no one listens to, like Planet of the Apes that I love. Everyone's like, stop. Everyone's like, huh, grow another Apes movie for three <laughs> weeks in a row. People love the Avengers. It's true. I kind of knew that people would really... You got a clap from my mom. I did. A clap emoji. Um, we'd also like to shout out to Paige Anderson Evans. Yep. We, um, she texted me a big long thing about how she's watched all the Avengers movies. And five years ago when we were roommates, we didn't know anything about the Avengers. Who could have known? Who could have known? So shout out to Paige. Paige, thanks for listening. Shout out to Ross Nelson. Also texted me. He just listened to our 500 Days of Summer podcast. He said that when I said, throw on a billabong polo, some board shorts, maybe a shell necklace, and maybe go longboarding, that he felt personally attacked. (laughs) Um, but he said really, some really nice things and he said he's working through our catalog. So I think that's great. Great. I genuinely am kind of amazed when people text us and say they're actually listening to our podcast. I know. It's, it shocks me every time. And a shout out to Elliot Morris, one of our, one of our greatest fans and closest friends and we love him. (laughs) And I just feel an even stronger bond and connection with him now, knowing that he also fought the fight of widescreen versus full screen (laughs) back in the day when no one gave a shit. And it means a lot to me to know that I wasn't alone. All right, Courtney, if people want to reach the podcast, like all these great people have, where can they find us? You can send us a DM on Instagram. We're at wife watches. Yep. On Twitter, you can tweet at us at wife underscore watches, note the underscore. You can send us an email at mywifewatchesmovies at gmail.com. That's right. You can leave us a review. You really should. They're fun. They're fun for us to read. They are. We love them. You can also leave us a rating. Rate us, leave us a review. Be aware of. It makes us feel good. (laughs) This whole thing is self-indulgent. We're fully aware. And it's nice to be validated. Yeah. Because I spend too much time. We love it. You're, You're gifted. 
<laughs> Shut up. Do you want to make out? <laughs> yeah, we should. <laughs> all right, that's all I got. All right, me too. We will watch you later. And remember, it doesn't matter what you did or what you were. If you go out there, you fight, and you fight to kill. Stay in here. You're good. I'll send your brother to come find you. But if you step out that door, you are an Avenger. Thank you.